Welcome back to New Year's Rockin' E, presented by Amazon Prime. It is Ryan Seacrest with you, and we're so honored that joining us right now are two very special guests, President Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden. It's nice to see you once again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Ryan. Happy New Year. Thanks for having us. I'd rather not be doing this. It's way past my bedtime. I haven't had my pill. Uh, Mr. President, before we start here about the new year, I'm curious, what sort of holiday foods have you been enjoying over the last few days? Well, I've been eating everything that's put in front of me. Now, how am I supposed to answer that question? Doesn't he know they can mush it all into goop, so I can just gum it down? Ice cream. And ice cream. Chocolate chip ice cream. It's good to know that you're eating like the rest of us here across the country. As you look back and reflect on 2023, what sort of, of memories, highlights stand out for you? Well, one of the big highlights stands out for me is my dad used to have an expression. He'd say, Joey, a job's about a lot more than the paycheck. Dignity. It's about respect. Highlights. So uh, there's no highlights. I just make up some stuff. Their, their factors are shipped overseas the last couple of times out. And, and they were losing hope and faith. So we brought a lot of jobs back Worlds. to the United States. Wait just a second. You hold on right there. Oh, crud. What's this guy doing here? Me? What am I doing here? <laughs> I live here. In my brain? Yes, sir. 100% rent-free. Oh, uh, come on. They're back. Well, we've got a million-plus people here in Times Square and so many eyes on the big ball Whoa. for the big moment tonight as we get ready for 2024. Uh -huh. What are your hopes for the new year, for both of you? Well, my hope is... <laughs> Good question, Ryan. He hopes Gavin doesn't run and that the hunter stays out of trouble. Now you shut up, you. Ryan's talking to me. Aw, oh, poor guy. Did you not get your nap today? Sleepy, sleepy. Dr. Biden, your hopes for America. Well, you know, I think it's what I would always tell my students. You know, it strikes me that she's got a good head of hair. I don't think I've ever sniffed it. Enjoy two scoops of ice cream tonight, both of you. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you soon. <laughs> oh, brother. Anyway, live from Biden's brain, it's that Kevin show. Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. Tonight, we play Election Peekaboo with 2024 with Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com and the leading Senate candidate for Republicans in New Jersey, Christine Serrano-Glasner. Sketch comedy tonight from Jason Headley. This is not a parody production and trippin' in Times Square. And we unveil the song of 2023 in the spotlight. And now, live from Times Square, where honestly, no one on God's green earth ever thought he'd get a second season, here's the Kevin! What, what, M Mr. David Pipes, what did I do to you? 
I, I didn't think I would get a second season. But here we are, baby. <laughs> season premiere, season number two. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. Uh, we've got so much to get to in this coming year, and I hope that you're here every single That Kevin Show that we have. It's just that important. You're going to hear from the, the important newsmakers. We're going to have the presidential candidates on. You're going to get up close and personal access uh, to folks. But you have to come back every weekend. Thank you for making us a choice uh, here on the first weekend of the new year that you have to make that choice. And I couldn't be uh, more grateful or more thankful uh, to all of the following. Uh, the Salem News Channel, my home uh, affiliate network uh, out of New York, Biz TV, the longtime partnership that continues to uh, flourish and be wonderful, and all of those affiliates that are watching tonight, thank you. 300-plus radio stations that say, you know what, that Kevin show, it helps our weekend ratings. It uh, it does things that nothing else does for us, and they keep adding it more every every week, it seems like. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to my lovely bride who's put up with all of the extra hours. Uh, thank you to my children who sometimes sometimes behave well when we go out to eat. <laughs> uh, thank you to uh, thank you to my entire team, uh, Ilana Golden, my booking producer, uh, all the guys in the studio, including Owen Buckley, Ivan Quinones, um, uh, Eric Hastings uh, on creative issues, uh, giving me feedback and so forth. Uh, we 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 have a great team. Big thanks. To Dick and Mel Tunney and the Dream and Color Orchestra and singers, they 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 have made they have colored this show with the sound of what it is supposed to be, and I'm just so grateful. And we we got an exciting episode for you tonight. We're going to talk about some major news stories because there's plenty to get to. Um, we're going to take a, a, a sneak peek at what 2024 holds. Hotair.com is one of those places you should be checking out and reading every day. They've got headlines that are well-reported and no one else is covering. Uh, Ed Morsey, their managing editor, is going to join us. And then in the second seg in the second hour tonight, in what used to be called the Ladies' Lounge, can you imagine if a blue, a hardcore blue state flipped one of its Senate seats for a, a red Republican woman? Christine Serrano-Glasner is that triple threat. She is a mayor, she is female, and she can define what a woman is, and... Uh, she has the potential to knock out one of the two Democratic uh, senators in the state of New Jersey. What an amazing thing that would be if it happened. She's going to be with us to tell us firsthand what she's all about. And then we've got comedy stacked up for you tonight. You 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 saw the Not A Parody production in the open. Uh, big thanks to the entire crew there. We've got uh, a brand new comic that's not been with us before. Jason Headley is on tonight with some sketch work. And we're going to go trip it in Times Square. I thought, you know, what better week? to go tripping in Times Square than, than New Year's week. We've got so many people there. So we got all that uh, on tap for you along with um, Assignment Desk Weekend, and you're not going to want to miss it because there's just too much to talk about. We've also got a new sponsor I want to thank. Swiss America, Swiss America uh, has just produced a, a little reading resource. It's a, it's, a, it's a short little essay that is just bonkers, uh, crazy important. When you read it, when you look at it and you read it and you understand what they have been tracking and what they are predicting, uh, it will open your eyes and hopefully give you some insight on how you should be uh, planning your portfolio going forward. You can go to SwissAmerica.com backslash that Kevin show uh, and just just request it that way. SwissAmerica.com backslash that Kevin show. 
We'll take you there and get rid of it. I want to say thank you to those of you also that helped us with our um, with our liberating of slaves project in 2023. Our goal was 192. I believe that we were. I think I believe that we are now saying for the year we did 222. Uh, human slaves that were liberated because of your partnership with us. So big thank you to you from Christian Solidarity International and yours truly, because those are 222 lives that we have changed forever because of what we did in 2023. So I'm pretty excited about all of that. Some of you on the socials, by the way, voted in our uh, New Music Spotlight Song of the Year contest. We had four rounds of voting. So there's 52 weeks in the year, which we don't play any of the new singles that are out during Christmas because we got new Christmas music to debut during that, that month. So in 11 months, there were um, some, I don't know, 48 songs that were released. And in, amongst those, 32 of them went to number one, some of them the week immediately following their appearance on the new music spotlight. In fact, I think that happened in around 25% of the uh, 25 of the cases of the 32, they became the national number one, the week appearing after on the uh, new music spotlight, but we have it down and I even put up on the screen here, the still to come, we, we've got it down to the final four. And I'm not going to tell you which order they were Selena Gomez, Taylor Swift, um, uh, uh, Phil Wickham, and who am I leaving out? Oh, Olivia Lane. Th this is cool. We had a Latin star, a pop star, a country star, and a Christian music star all voted in by you as our top four songs. Uh, you will hear the top two tonight. Uh, in this hour, we will unveil the number, the runner-up, and in the second hour tonight, uh, for our final segment, we will be uh, going uh, straight to the vault and saying, here it is. The number one song for the year. So that's all. That's this is all yet to come. Big big show. Couldn't be happier than to have you with us. Now I don't know if you saw. Just a real quick news note. Um, the president this week accused uh, Donald Trump uh, and others of trying to rig an election for Donald Trump to return to the presidency. Now they're making that accusation while. Biden's own party in North Carolina are trying to knock people off ballots like they did in Colorado for the presidential race. But this is for other races. Well, that's in a Simon Desk weekend. We'll get into some more details of that a little bit later on. Thank you for being here. If you want to follow us, our brand new website is thatkevinshow.com on all the socials, including TikTok as of this week, at That Kevin Show. And we're coming right back from the greatest city on planet Earth, New York. Stay here. I knew it. Ah, uh, come on, Cam. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. And welcome back to 2024, our first episode of the brand new year here at That Kevin Show. So glad to have you with us as we embark on year number two. And as we look forward to the days in front of us, we have a big newsmaking year. In fact, it's going to be one of the most historic years ever. You're going to have uh, incredible Supreme Court cases that are going to be decided this spring and announced this summer. And 
you have in a historic election that may break the mold on anything we've ever seen, especially if the two current frontrunners end up being the nominees. But please, before we go any further, please make welcome my very first guest of 2024. He is the managing editor at potair.com and a longtime friend. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and welcome Ed Morris. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. I, I I I love that we are still occasionally doing this after after all these years. Great to be on with you. Yeah. Well, I've had you on uh, SNC tonight a couple of times, and I thought, you know what? He's never been on on my star show, which is really where I, I need you the most. Um, Ed, um, coming off of the uh, year of 2023, there were lots of things that took people by surprise. And it's interesting. I was talking with one of our mutual friends, Carol Markowitz, just yesterday, and she was saying – that she feels like the conservative movement is on some level lost right now, that you've got people that are making really great points, but uh, sometimes on cultural stuff, we seem to be very tin-eared on some things. Um, and I know that this year is going to be maybe one of the most important from a his historical perspective uh, on, on many different levels. Let's talk about some of the biggest stories from last year. And I think that Certainly the most impactful and certainly the one that um, maybe it didn't have as long of a shelf life as some other things uh, had, but it is still with us in the form of the stories that are being played out in cities across the, the globe uh, in, in the aftermath of its wake, and that is the attacks of 10-7. Um, how, how do you put that into a, a historical perspective for yourself? You know, I have to tell you, Kevin, that this is really kind of the story of the year for me. And I know it's, and you know, we're living in it, and sometimes you lose a little perspective on this. But I, I've said this a number of times. I, I went to bed in America on October 7th, and I woke up somewhere around Nuremberg, 1933. Hmm. Um, I, I, I was, I'd always known that there was a strong streak of anti-Semitism on the left. There's some on the on the extreme right, too. Uh, but I didn't know how bad it actually was, um, especially in academia. And I don't know that I've ever felt as culturally dislocated as I felt, in the, especially in the first couple of weeks after the Hamas uh, massacre in southern Israel and how people in this country went out into the streets to support Hamas rather than victims of that of those atrocities. I, I, I was stunned, and I can't even imagine what Carol Markowitz and Bethany Mandel and some of my friends um, uh, who are a lot closer to those, you know, academic institutions than I am physically closer to them, how they must be feeling in, in, the, in the wake of this. But uh, I, that to me is uh, that that to me is the story of the year. It well, no doubt about that. Um, and the long trail of it is that you've got this um, unraveling, if you will, of these beliefs in some of our most elite corners. I yeah. mean, I would have never thought for a million years you would have had three American university presidents go before Congress and be unable to denounce terrorists that hate people on racial and religious basis. Yeah, Liz McGill um, has already resigned at Penn. Um, Sally Kornbluth is still at MIT and the board is standing behind her. And of course, Claudine Gay has become sort of the focus of this at Harvard, just simply because Harvard's, you know, cultural position in the United States. But um, all three of them refuse to refuse to uh, declare that 
the anti-Semitism was, uh, it was harassment, was intimidation, was unacceptable on their campuses. They kept talking about context. And I mean, it's stunning from these same institutions, which would expel students or refuse to admit students if they committed microaggressions, such as misgendering or, you know, using the wrong pronoun or putting up some sort of meme that criticized the, um, the, the dominant radical left. And and again, I think this was a moment of clarity. I think that, you know, they, they were hiding behind the First Amendment at three institutions that are literally the worst in the United States for defending free speech rights on their campuses. And it's very clear that that is a form of endorsement. If they're allowing anti-Semitic speech uh, under the rubric of free speech and shutting down everybody who, for instance, believes in biology, human biology, right. that is an endorsement, right? When you start censoring speech, the speech you allow is endorsed, at least tacitly. And that's what Elise Stefanik was trying to impress on these three who completely misread the situation and just absolutely botched the, that testimony culturally as well as legally as well as academically. I'm glad you brought Elise Stefanik up. The congresswoman is someone I'm a big fan of. And, you know, when SNL tried to parody what she had done there, um, like so many of our cultural barometers, it kind of fell on its face because they missed the entire point. I, there's There was certainly material there that you could work with, but because everybody is so woke, they're, they're, they're going to overlook what the actual... Uh, point is that they should be drawing attention to in order to mock those that the uh, woke find uh, in some way offensive. And it, it it speaks to a larger issue for me that I think is kind of interesting, and that is that culturally, we're going to elect a president, and we've got people that are arguing on policy and image and symbolism grounds about things that sometimes aren't even true and sometimes don't even exist. And yet this is the state of elections in 2024. We went through an entire GOP debate cycle in which the man who is shaping the Republican Party did not participate and arguably won the aftermath of all four of the debates. When you look at going into the debates, he was hovering around 50% in his approval. By the time they're done, he's at 64%. I mean, this is the this is the stage of the utterly weird, is it not? Yeah, it's, it is strange. I mean, honestly, I, I, we've never been through a cycle where a major candidate in a primary just simply refused to debate. Um, and there's strategic reasons for that. I mean, I, I understand why he didn't do it, and that, it ended up working out for him. So strategically, he picked the right. You know, he 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 chose wisely. I don't think that that's very good for the party, and I don't think it's very good for the country. But then again, I've never been a big fan of these debates in the first place, and I don't think that there's a whole lot of light that gets shed in these. Um, I think what's more important is the engagement on issues, just more generally, you know, with with you know, in in Iowa, New Hampshire, the states that we're going to be coming up, in, but also on a national basis. And to be frank, I don't think that we're seeing a ton of that either. I think we're seeing a lot of infighting, and I don't think that voters are feeling like there's a really close engagement from most of these candidates now maybe on the ground it's a little different where they're there in person but you know at least at the thirty thousand foot level it really just seems as though this has been an exercise in futility you're not wrong uh my sources on the ground in iowa say it's some of the lowest energy level they've seen in a primary and it's primarily because they've already made up their mind 
right. by going with the virtual incumbent. It's uh, Kevin McCullough on That Kevin Show with Ed Morrissey from HotAir.com. Coming right back on That Kevin Show. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us. Happy New Year. Our first uh, new episode in 2024 and grateful to have you with us. And Ed Morsey rejoins us from hotair.com and you can read him 24-7. He's always posting and uh, got great stuff there and great insights. Ed, we were talking about the elections of 2024. You know, there's a congressional election that's going to be on the ballot as well. And people are rating the 2023 Congress as the least effective in modern history and when you look at the drama that played out, um, Republicans had a thin majority. Do they hold on to it in 2024 from your perspective? You know, I think it's going to be close. And, and the reason why is because American politics is so evenly split right now. And I think the House, uh, you know, it reflects that. It reflected it in the previous Congress, too. I mean, Democrats had a majority, but it was a nine-seat majority. I, I think that we're getting to a point now where the the split in the country is starting to be reflected in splits in the legislature. You know, the Senate's gone 51-49, 50-50 over the last couple of sessions as well. Uh, so I don't think that you, do they hang on to it? Maybe, but I don't think that either party would uh, end up with a, a really effective majority in either chamber. And in part, that's because of candidate selection. In part, that's because they're talking past voters. But in part, it's just because voters have are pretty much 50 50 in the country and this is they're getting the representation that reflects them let me ask you this let's pose a hypothetical trump becomes president but loses the house uh the the senate stays where it is what does his agenda become in 2025 i would guess it would focus on the border um because that's the one place where he had uh, some significant success one of the places, I should say, that he had some significant success, and one of the places where he can he can operate without necessarily too much um, uh, engagement with Congress. The problem is, is that even if Biden wins a second term, he's not going to get much engagement from Congress either because it is just so evenly split. I don't, I'm not even sure they're going to be able to get a budget through. Uh, as we're talking about this, we're still debating on how they're going to try to get it through. Uh, so my guess is that whoever is the next president is going to have to rely on executive power, which is, I think, dangerous anyway, but really is the only way that's going to, where things are going to get done. And the accomplishments will be reflected in that. That would be, you know, border security and foreign policy. Let's jump to foreign policy. Uh, we've seen uh, the China relationship change under Joe Biden. We've seen the Russia and Ukrainian relationship kind of morph under Joe Biden. We've seen Iran, um, Punt, thump its chest and get very bellicose under Joe Biden. Uh, we've seen his slow support of Israel and kind of slow walking the help needed at times and even pressured to criticize and be critical of our most important ally. How does, how does all of that change if Trump becomes the chief executive? 
Well, I think we go back to the status quo ante, right, which is focusing on Israel's relationships with the Sunni nation, the Abraham Accords, that Trump, that was a Trump initiative, and it was very successful, as long as Trump was in office. And to be fair, Biden's tried to continue it's that. still but, held thus far, I was about to say. Let's, yeah. let's be honest, they're hanging in there. They're, they've not attacked Israel or gone on the offensive, so that's, that's good. Well, in part, that's because they see Iran as a threat. Right. And that was the, that's the thing that really changed with Biden, is that Biden went back to Barack Obama's appeasement policy with Iran, which weakened our influence with the Sunni nation. So if, if Trump comes back, I would guess that that gets reversed back again. We're, we start putting a lot more maximum pressure policies on, um, on Iran, and that will change the dynamic in the Middle East. What about the war between Russia and Ukraine? Uh, the former president has said he would end it quickly. Um, do you see a resolution coming if he's elected? No, I don't see a resolution coming to that. And I'm, I, I, he said that an awful lot. Um, Russia wants to reconquer its former imper imperial territories. And they, they did it in Georgia in 2008. And they did it uh, in pieces now in Ukraine in 2014 and again in 2022. Uh, the only way that that ends is either Ukraine gets rolled over by Russia or Russia gets rolled over by Ukraine at this point in time. And since I don't really see that being realistic in either direction, my guess is that this war goes on whether Donald Trump likes it or not. Um, KT McFarlane has called it another forever war. Is that how you're describing it? You know, a, a forever war, it's, it's, it's going to last as long as there's no resolution to it. And I think part of the issue that we've had in Ukraine, and for that matter in Gaza, is that we keep freezing conflicts when they're not really resolved. And we think that the freeze is a resolution. Um, we tried to freeze the conflict in Ukraine in 2014. It didn't work. Russia still wanted to invade Ukraine, and they did. And they didn't even have a pretext for it at that point in time. They just waited until they figured that they were strong enough to get it done quickly so that the West wouldn't have time to react. Uh, Ed Morsi uh, of HotAir.com. Uh, yeah. We're getting a kind of sneak preview of what 2024 looks like. Stay with us. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. Ed Morsi is back with us. And Ed, we've been talking about what the new year is going to shape up like as the news. And we've discussed foreign policy. We've discussed uh, some of the um, changes in the machination of government if, you know, certain things go certain ways. One of the areas that uh, the Biden administration has had an outsized impact on is our educational system and the kind of blackmailing of education with their gender ideology and their CRT emphasis. Um, parents, I believe, are going to vote in this next election cycle uh, in very strong ways that they may feel more locally than nationally. At this point, do you see that tipping to one side or the other in terms of the presidential race? You know, culturally, I see it tipping to the Republicans. And I think, you know, we talked earlier about the testimony of the three poison ivy presidents. I like to call them the poison ivies. Um, yeah, I, I figured, you know, I, Thank you. <laughs> it's the bane of my existence, Kevin. Oh, 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 hey. uh, such a joke. Uh, Go ahead. 
So the, wait, think, tell me this. How do you, how do you get to that conclusion? Okay. So I, I'll, I'll give you the answer and I'll, uh, I, I don't have another Batman reference. So you are the King. I, 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 <laughs> you. um, but I mean, th- it really put that whole DEI CRT, um, thing on display and it made it, it showed the hypocrisy of this right which is that you know the ethnic determinism is always going to have losers groups of losers and in this case it's always going to be the jews and after the jews it's other people the asians and the whites and and frankly most people don't like that they like the idea of individual um achievement individual um uh, individual character as as a reference for uh, their value rather than the color of their skin or the ethnicity of their ancestors or their religion. And I think that that really exposed this whole DEI CRT thing, at, not just at, in higher ed, but all the way down to, you know, pre-K. And we're seeing examples of that coming up in, in the headlines now rather routinely. And I think that that plays well for Republicans. And that may be enough to push to push the needle just a little bit over the 50-50 line. One of the things that people did not really acknowledge in the headlines uh, in 2022 was that while the congressional races were kind of a hot mess, Republicans picked up some in the House, they didn't win some of the races they really wanted in the Senate, blah, blah, blah. On the local level, moms came out big time and swapped a lot of school boards, 50 of the biggest uh, school boards in the country uh, went back to moms and dads of common sense and away from the woke monsters that had been there uh, for some time. Um, when you mess with people's kids, you, you pay the price at the ballot box. You do. And and again, parents vote and they're an important voting block. And if as long as they see that as their priority and kids usually are their priority, uh, it's very powerful. It has very powerful effects. And I would say that Republicans could have done better in 2022, especially in the Senate with better candidate selection and a little bit better messaging too. And I think that, uh, you know, we can talk about abortion a little bit on this, but had they had a coherent message on abortion, I don't think it would have hurt them nearly as much as it did in 2022. Well, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Um, Another phenomenon we saw in 2023 were a lot of old people getting much older in elected office. And, you know, uh, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate now has a nickname called Glitch. Um, you, you saw some people die while in office. Um, is there any trend towards new blood, fresh blood in the, um, in, in, on the scene for people? I, I don't think so. I mean, you take a look at the presidential election. I, I think that if you poll, you know, the, the, uh, the return of both candidates in 2024, just as a phenomenon itself, it polls very poorly. People didn't want to rerun a, a rematch of 2020 in, in the 2024 election. And yet, here we are. The Democrats haven't produced anybody who could be a, a, a rational alternative to Joe Biden. And the Republicans seem to be going four square behind Donald Trump, which will give the nation, at least if you listen to polling, what it really didn't want. Um, so, no, I don't see that yet, but I think it's going to be coming. Um, let's talk about that. Um Let's let's handicap these uh, first few months uh, in a column I wrote uh, probably, I don't know, five or six weeks ago now, maybe longer than that, um, kind of at the end of the debate cycle, I guess, is when I, I authored it. Um, I said at the time that I think Trump wins in Iowa. I think he wins in New Hampshire, though I think that might be a little bit cagier than Iowa for him. Um, 
I think he sweeps in Nevada pretty easily. And then I think he comes back with a big win uh, in South Carolina, defeating either DeSantis or Haley, whoever has dropped out and endorsed the other one at that time. Because I think once Iowa and New Hampshire goes away, I think a lot of the money dries up for the also-rans. And I just don't think that more than one of them have a chance of coming out of South Carolina with with the hope of a victory. I, I don't know that there is one anyway, but usually Republicans elect their nominee in South Carolina. Whoever wins two of those first three big ones, not counting Nevada, usually goes on to win the nomination. And all of the Republicans that have become president have, have followed that cycle. Um, do you see anywhere in those first four contests, which are the ones that happened before Super Tuesday, where someone breaks through? The only one I think that has an opportunity to do that would be DeSantis in Iowa, and really just in Iowa. And that could change, if he does, it could change the, the, the context of what happens after that. Uh, DeSantis has spent a lot of money building an, uh, a ground organization in Iowa. He spent a lot of time in Iowa. So he's you think he's Ted Cruz in, in 24? He's possibly Ted Cruz. I, now, it I, didn't work with Ted Cruz. Well, it, it worked. It extended the race, that's for sure. I mean, it took to Indiana for him to be mathematically eliminated. But it was interesting. I just was on the phone with um, a well-known talk show host uh, in Iowa, Steve Dace, who has often been on the inside track of uh, nominating and endorsing the, the GOP winner of that first caucus. And his words to me were, Kev... Um, I don't know that Trump's ahead by 20 or 30, but this is the lowest level energy primary I've ever seen. Uh, and I don't know what a Nikki Haley sign looks like. He says, but I have no, I have no real feeling about how it's going to go in just a couple of weeks. Is that telling from someone who's been so hard on the inside for such a long time? You know, Steve, and Steve's a great resource for this. I mean, he really is on the ground. He really does. He, nobody knows the counties in Iowa like he does. Exactly. So I'm 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 not surprised that he's saying what he's saying. Ed Morrissey, read him at hotair.com because he's going to be on top of all of these stories and many, many more. Ed, a uh, good friend. Thank you for being with us to start here. Ready or not, we'll be right back. With a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. We got started about one year ago. 32 number one singles, four rounds of voting, hundreds and thousands of votes. And at the end of 2023, it came down to four songs. At number two, in the new music spotlight for Song of the Year, it's Phil Wickham, and this is our God. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame They were like prisons that we couldn't escape But he came and he died and he rose Those walls are rubble now Remember those giants we called death and grave like mountains that stood in our way, but he came and he died and he rose. Those giants are dead now. 
one hour from now, we name the number one song of the year from the new music spotlight here on That Kevin Show. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music.